All right. So today, I've realized at the end of this, I think we're hitting the halfway mark because if I remember correctly, there were 13 chapters, but now I'm doing that from memory and I, I'm not actually sure. So let's, uh, today is Alien Caveman's Ransom Chapter 5 and 6. The ladies were kidnapped after doing research on a translation device. Brought up into a spaceship where they attempted to take over, but found the little gray aliens were too powerful. They could freeze them and paralyze them. The aliens murdered one for the attempted uprising. Dropped them on a planet where the main character, Sophia, saw a dinosaur, but no one believed her. So then they introduced a red shirt, angry lady. She went out and got eaten by a dinosaur. They found a thing, like a stack with spears in it, and that is supposed to be a warning to stay away, do not go further. And they went a little further, and then suddenly, not they're calling them not dactyls, so they're not pterodactyls. I think they have four wings and stuff. I don't remember the description. One was bearing down on our main character, about to eat her, and she remembers she has a gun in her pocket, which, if I was going into an alien jungle and had a gun... A, I don't think I would forget I had it. And B, I'm pretty sure I would have it in my hand uh, to make sure I could shoot alien things. But my primary concern... Now, they're obviously very concerned about the dinosaurs they found on this planet. Uh, They haven't seen any of the alien cavemen yet. My concern primarily would actually be alien bugs and plants that are poisonous. Because I have a theory that I could hide from a dinosaur. I'm not going to be like, oh yeah, I would make a spear and, and kill a dinosaur. I'm not that stupid. I don't think I could kill a dinosaur uh, without certainly a lot of support and training. I think I could manage to hide from one if I was, again, prepared, kind of had the time to prepare. You can't escape bugs. And you can't escape plants in a jungle. So... You're going to meet a poisonous bug, and it's going to bite you, and you're going to die. And that would be actually my primary concern. I would be like, let's not go in the jungle because there's bugs, and they're going to eat us, and we're going to die, or they bite us. And then they're, they're now on the running back to the cylinder uh, cage they were in to try to regain some, some semblance of safety. So let us begin with Chapter 5 of Alien Caveman's Ransom, Sophia. With shaking hands, I get it. It, in this case, is the gun. I don't want you to forget what's going on. With shaking hands, I get it into my hand. She used hand twice in the same sentence. That's not good style. And untangle it from my lab coat. So again, this is again, if we go back to my initial statement, first thing I would do is have it in my hand as I enter the alien jungle. But it's too late. I hear the knocked, not dactyl right behind me. And the dinosaur in front of me is slowly shifting its position to pounce on me with one of its mouths. This is an alien with... Two mouths on either side of its face, which conceptually I think doesn't make any sense. I don't see the evolutionary benefit of having two mouths because if the one in the middle, if the area in the middle can't open, you would need a hinged jaw on the front of your face to open your side mouths more. I'm actually a little confused. The description is not great. I'm a little confused as how this works biologically. I bend my head down, make myself as small as I possibly can. I don't want to see this. And then there's a loud thud. 
like a huge whale hitting the ground from the top of a skyscraper, which is something she's never heard before, so she has no idea what that sounds like, followed by a not-dactyl scream that makes me drop the gun and press my hands to my ears. Uh, if I had a choice, I would I would hold on to the gun. You can put the gun up with your ears and not let go. Don't drop the gun. When I look up, the yellow-eyed dinosaur's neck is at least 50 feet long. Mm. And the not-dactyl is tumbling through the air away from me, still screaming furiously. It looks like the dino has head-butted the not-dactyl because it has no other limbs that could do anything like it. 50 feet neck. A 50-foot neck. So... She has, I believe, probably scaled up the size of dinosaurs. They have said that the gravity is slightly lower, so actually animals would be bigger overall. Or that's a possibility. I'm not saying it's a fact. Because usually when animals or bugs or something get too big, the actual issue, like when they do giant bug movies in the 50s, the actual weight of the actual animal, the bug, would crush itself because it would be too heavy. It couldn't support itself. So lower gravity actually would solve that problem, but... Uh, I'm having trouble following. Her descriptions aren't complete enough. I need more more descriptions, maybe even some pictures, some charts of what these things actually look like. That's a suggestion for the next series, maybe. The not-dactyl hits the trees far away with a terrible rustle of leaves. When I don't stick around to check if it's okay, I just run, shaking and sobbing. At least now I know where I'm running because the tuna can is shimmering in the sunlight just a short distance away. And of course, the door is shut. I scramble over and bang on the door. Hey, open up, it's me, Sophia. The door slides open and I dive through it. Then someone slaps the button again and it slams shut. This, when we were reading the last chapter, was one of my most significant issues with the situation. So the idea is that this is a completely enclosed, uh, basically, container, like a shipping container, with a door, and they press a button, it slides open, slides closed. They have no idea how that battery works, because this is alien technology. So if that battery runs out while they're inside with the doors closed, they're never getting out again. If that battery runs out with the door open, at least you can get in and out. So my theory is you you open the door and leave it open as much as possible and then maybe block it with something else that you have control over. Because there is the possibility that now that this shipping container has been disconnected from the mothership, that it runs out of battery and the door doesn't open or close anymore. I collapse on the floor and just breathe furiously. And then I break down in panicked tears of terror and anger. Well, sometimes you just have to let it go. And I guess this is my time. So this is honestly a very healthy attitude to just being attacked by a dinosaur for the first time. I've had enough. Not only am I the bitch of the story, I have now hated this little trope they've introduced. It looks like I'm the coward too. I'm all the bad ones rolled into one, I sob. And I sense the girls exchanging glances. Heidi and Aurora hold me while I get my sense while I get to my senses. I look around, but the girls are blocking my view. How many made it? Caroline puts a hand on my shoulder. Not many. How can she be this calm? Norwegians are hard to shake, I guess. I stretch my neck to look past her. No one. The room is empty except for us translator lab girls in our white lab coats. Six. Elysia was the seventh. This is very convenient. This is like any science fiction show where they introduce a bunch of people and then they kill them all because you have the main characters and you don't want to kill off the main characters. 
Uh, it's one of the things that Game of Thrones, I think, did right, is you kill off some main characters, or people you assume would be main characters, to increase the sense of risk or danger. I count one more time. Carolyn, Aurora, Amelia, Heidi, Delia, me. That's it. All the other women were taken by not-dactyls, including the woman who found the mound of rocks and the owner of the gun, whoever that was. I leaned my head back against the wall. Shit. Yeah, Amelia agrees. Those flying things just picked him up and, well, they're gone. We were sure you were, too. I almost was. I tell them what happened. Heidi shakes her head. So damn weird, this planet. Giant trees and weird piles of rocks and not dactyls and sophiosauruses. I frown. And what? Sophiosauruses, she repeats. That dino of yours. You discovered it. And also, you're the only one who's seen it. That's the right way to name something. Nictoire? Delia? Oh, anyone who's just jumping in, all the girls are basically from different countries. So again, it's like a Benetton ad to make sure that everyone's represented. Delia considers it. Not really, but I guess it works. We can do the formal classification later. That's typically not done in the field. I shrug. It's a name as good as any. In your life-threatening situations, this actually bugs me about action movies too. Like, I get movies are so stupid, mostly, again, the 80s, 90s action movies, where they made quips after they killed people. Like, I got that was easy to forgive and forget because the movie was stupid. But, like, you've just been run down by dinosaurs. You're not calling it Sophiasaurus. Like, it's jokes aren't happening right now. You could certainly do it later. I'd be okay with that. But just right in the moment, that's not how that works. I shrug. The name, it's a name as good as any, I guess, and I can't expect to have any actual cool creature named after me, so a lumbering, three-legged, ugly dinosaur that throws punches with its neck is okay. It's okay. It saved me from the not-dactyl. Three-legged. Yeah, again, the, she, the descriptions are, are piecemeal, so it's hard for me to actually get a sense in my head of what these actually look like. And that's the. I want to know what they look like so I have a sense of how they would function. And once I have a sense of how they would function, then I could actually make like assumptions and stuff. But I can't do any of that with the little amount of information I'm being given. But now we have much more important things to talk about. We're stranded on an alien planet with deadly wildlife everywhere. We hug each other and calm down. This is where the sexy bit would happen. Uh, I probably shouldn't think. I should. I probably shouldn't think it. But I'm glad I'm not here alone. Amelia asked the obvious question. So. Guys, what the hell do we do? We sit around and talk for a good while. We keep going around in circles because we don't really know anything. We try to avoid saying the things that is on everyone's mind. We might be stuck here for good. In the end, we don't make any decisions except for the one. We have to get water. And since I know where the stream is because I almost fell in it, I have to go. That's fine, I say, and get up, hoping at least not to be considered the coward of the group. But can I have some company, please? Just one is enough. Actually, that's sensible. You shouldn't be going out anywhere alone anyways. I know I understand this, the risk is significant, but you shouldn't go out anywhere by yourself on an alien planet. Sure, Caroline. Oh, sure. Caroline gets up and takes off her lab coat. We'll get water. Do we have anything that, we can, that can be used as a bucket to carry it in? We don't. But Amelia claims to have seen a bush with a very large funnel-shaped leaves right outside. I open the door and peer carefully out. Nothing's moving, and the light is more reddish now than before. You guys better be quick, Aurora says. Looks like the sun's setting. I take off the lab coat. Lab coat. It takes me a while to get started. 
I take off the lab coat, put the gun in my jeans pocket, and step outside the tuna can. It's not far. Ten minutes at most if we find something to carry the water in. Caroline and I find Amelia's leaves right away. They're deep and have a waxy surface that should be pretty watertight. These should hold what? A couple of quarts each? Quartz. Clearly American scientists who haven't moved over to metric yet, which is actually inconceivable in the modern age. Americans conceive of it because they're the only ones who would do it, but... The scientific community is in metric. I'm sorry, that's the way it is. Yep, I nod. Not enough, enough not to die of thirst, but not enough to wash in, I add to myself. The jungle is hot and I'm soaked in sweat. Better not talk too much, Caroline says. We don't know what else lives here. Again, bugs. Bugs live there. I almost guarantee bugs live there. I bet there's no bug incident in this book. If there is... I will be happy to pay for the next one without complaining. We walk silently through the woods, trying not to step on dry branches. We find the stream right away. The bank is muddy, but the water itself flows pretty fast and looks clean enough. A little further up the bank is sandy and looks like a beach, so we make our way there. I peer down into it. I think think there are any monsters down there? Caroline scratches her chin. I only see sand. That's what worries me. It looks too inviting but I think I have to step into it. The water close to the bank is too shallow to fill these things. I consider taking off my secret sneakers and socks, but I have to run. I prefer not to have to put them back on first. But I fold up my jeans as far as my calves as they will go. I grab one of the cone-shaped leaves and take a deep breath, close my eyes, and step in the stream. Ah, parasites. Parasites in the water, especially those ones that that, uh, famously go into a man's penis. If you walk through the water and you pee and it's warm, it goes up where the warmness is. But anyways, that's a separate issue. I think it was a problem for soldiers in Vietnam. So Vietnam, maybe it was South America. That's something I'll end up looking at later this afternoon, and I'll know a little more about parasites. I grab one of the cone-shaped leaves and take a deep breath, close my eyes, and step into the stream. The water is cool against my calves and actually feels pretty great. Some flowers on the bank are sending a sweet fragrance my way. And with the scent, the sweet fragrance might be a drug that makes you fall asleep, you fall in the water and drown. So I'm ready for anything. That's, that's the bit that they're missing. And with the setting sun and the balmy air and the whole episode almost feels pleasant, like I'm on vacation in some tropical paradise. Except we witnessed at least 20 women taken by terrible not-dactyls just a couple of hours ago. I shudder and find one leaf and then hand it to Caroline on the shore. She gives me the other one and I fill it with upstream water. Then I lean over to hand it back and I slip on a rock under my foot and fall backwards into the stream with a huge splash. I splutter and cough and try to get a foothold on the bottom, but the current is pretty strong in the middle of the stream and I can't quite make it. It's deep too. I can hear Caroline yell something from the bank, but I'm busy not drowning in this stream and so that suddenly turned out to flow much faster than it looked. Then the bottom just disappears under, under me and I'm sucked down a hole with most of the water in the stream. Holy, this is great. I panic and try to swim up against the current, but it's just too strong, and now gravity is pulling me straight down, too. This is great. I was not ready for this. I was ready for something I could predict. I did not think she was going to drown. She's not going to drown. She's the hero of the story. I'm dead. I just know it. Then there's another splash. I'm floating, and I realize I've fallen into a pool of some kind. I swim desperately, and this time I move the way I want to. I feel air on my face and gasp with relief. Then take many panicked breaths as I keep my head above water. It's a cave, and I can see red daylight not too far away, and the water flows lazily in that direction. I can see the rocky shore and swim towards it, 
and then hang on to a smooth rock. I'm exhausted. Totally. The edge of the rock is half an inch, half inch higher than the water level, but when I try to climb up, I don't even get halfway. I just don't have the energy. It's okay. I'll just hang on here for a while and regain my strength. That was chapter five. Uh, I mean, so basically what they've done is provided them with the perfect shelter. An enclosed space where the water runs through, therefore providing you with a fresh water source. She's going to have to get back to her other girls and bring them to this cave. And that's where they're going to live at least for a little while. Chapter 6. Jackson. Now, you know Jackson is an alien because it's J-A-X apostrophe Z-A-N. And if you want to make anything either elvish or alien, you throw a bunch of apostrophes at... You throw a bunch of apostrophes in there. I actually have now come to hate that as a trope. Uh, Apostrophes in alien names or foreign names. I guess what I said was kind of racist because there's probably some real names with apostrophes in them. But I think as a a science fiction trope or a fantasy trope is what I mean. It doesn't work. Because this could just just be J-A-X-Z-A-N. There's no need for the apostrophe. Unless they explain it later. If they explain it and it makes sense, I'll accept it. So this is a new character. This is not Sophia. We've the first five chapters have all been Sophia. We have now switched perspective to Jackson. I look, or is it Jackson? I look up. There was something in that splash that was not supposed to be there, and there was a sound from a throat, a thin squeal of a kind of grunk. A thin squeal of the kind a grunk may emit when they hit by an arrow. This may be the titular alien caveman. But they've introduced Grunk, G-R-U-N-K. G-R-U-N-K, again, is very lazy alien caveman speak. Because when you think of aliens, you think of G sounds with K sounds, like grog and grunk. You know, uh, this is the modern equivalent of fake ancient languages, which is ridiculously stupid. So this is where the author, she's caught me a couple of times, but then lost me a couple of times. A lot of this has been very predictable, but using grunk has really turned me off. A thin squeal of the kind a grunk may emit when hit by an arrow. So a grunk, I assume, is a kind of animal they hunt. I sigh, more for the benefit of the ancestors than because I am truly annoyed. My prayer has been disrupted. And they, capital T, they would want that to irritate me. But truly, I welcome the break. The ancestors require long prayers in this location. I slowly straighten up and look across to where the holy water falls through the, cro- the rocky tunnel from sacred boon. Jeez, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna struggle a lot with all the alien words or all the all the caveman words. There is movement there clearly, a small of some kind. Oh, fuck off. A small, small is capitalized. Therefore, small is a noun, not an adjective. I did an activity in my last year of high school where it was the teacher was like, you can choose 50 words and then you have to make a story using only those 50 words. This is the kind of crap that came out of that. Now, it's a good exercise for kids, but this is supposed to be a book by an adult. A capital small of some kind. No big could fit through that hole. So big, I assume small is child and big is adult. I stand as still as if I'm on the hunt, moving my hand towards my sword, so slowly the movement is invisible to any creature. Oh, he's doing like a Drac, was it Drax in Guardians of the Galaxy where he says he's moving so slow no one can see him? I stand as still as if I'm on a hunt, moving my hand towards my sword so slowly 
that the movement is invisible to any creature. Something is splashing in the holy pool. Something that is larger than a small and yet smaller than a big. Oh my God, this is so painful for me to read. The only thing that fits such a description is a human like me. I frown. A human in the holy pool? He must be an outtriber. Nice. Outtriber is a pretty good word. Or since not even our bitterest rival tribes would ever set foot on sacred boon, an outworlder, perhaps a plude. Okay, so we have outtriber, which would be someone from a different tribe. Outworlder, which means they understand aliens are being dropped on. So the humans were talking. It's getting very difficult to be descriptive. This guy is a native of this planet. The humans we've been following this whole time are the aliens. So I assume that's an outworlder. A plude, P-L-O-O-D, is not... I don't know what a plude is. Yeah, don't, don't, don't cough in the microphone, man. Okay, so let's get back. I gotta get focused. If so, this place has been badly desecrated. I choose to disregard stealth over efficiency and just grasp the hilt of my sword. The metal is safe and cool in my hands, and I move towards the water. It's too dark in here for me to see clearly, but there's something there. Yes, a human. Somewhat small, but still a plude. A plude, then, except this thing is not gray like them. Ah, a plude must be the aliens, the gray aliens who abducted the ladies. And so they have been on this planet. Uh, That's interesting. Because that means the alien, the native alien population, I can't call them alien, the native population of this alien planet to us has encountered these uh, gray aliens before. He's reached the rocky edge of the water and now he has thrown both his hands onto the shore. He he has five fingers on each hand. The plude have two. A boy then? Oh, so we've just learned something biologically about the gray aliens that when they're infants or young they have more fingers and the fingers fall off or fuse together as they get older and there he hangs i can hear his breath ragged in his throat after a huge exertion i grasp my sword harder this is not a euphemism why is he not coming out of the water that's very suspicious he's got some scheme in mind no doubt or is it that he can't i can see him try to hoist his body up but he must be extremely tired he's not making it even halfway I'm almost within range to strike him with my sword. He has dark hair, long and flowing in the water, very pale skin. Ah, no stripes. Definitely a boy, an outtriber boy. So, females. Ah, the first five chapters were from a human female's perspective. We've just switched to Jackson, which I think is one of the alien males so this is not from a female perspective that i know of we haven't actually um determined the gender of the speaker but i think it's a guy because this is probably who's going to like bang down later in the story very pale skin ah no stripes definitely a boy an outtriber boy his breath is coming fast and shallow, and I can see that his eyes are closed. I squat down right behind his head and wonder at the fabric that covers his torso. It bulges over his chest in a way that I haven't seen before. Oh, the boobies have come out. You guys actually predicted the boobies before I did. I feel a little emasculated. It must be an alien, an alien boy. Well, I suppose they must exist. 
but they may not exist in the holy pool of the ancestors. I will sacrifice his blood to them. Surely they will not then require me to complete a tedious prayer. I raise the sword above my head. At the same moment, the boy loses his grip on the shore and his fingers slide uselessly across the rocks. His head falls backwards into the water and I see his face. In astonishment, I drop my sword and it falls to the ground with a resounding clang. That is bad uh, weapons handling. Everyone so far. The girl had a gun. She panicked and dropped it. This guy sees a girl's face and he drops his sword. These people do not know how to survive. That face... That's not a boy, certainly not a man, so pale, so smooth, with a beauty so otherworldly, I can feel my crotch spontaneously swelling. Well, this is where we're getting into it, at least. That looks like, no, that feels like, surely not, I whisper in awe, as the face disappears under the surface and becomes becomes a pale spot. Holy ancestors, surely not. But in the center of my being, I know that it is. I dive into the pool without even a short prayer. I grasp the alien under its arms and pull it ashore, then gently pull it from the water. I check its breath. Yes, it's still alive. Some water is running out of its mouth, and I roll it over onto its side. Oh, holy ancestors, the backside is even more enticing than the fronds. I should get it like some kind of creepy, dirty voice. Oh, oh holy ancestors. The... I immediately go German. The backside is even more enticing than the fronds. The alien splutters and coughs wetly. I sit back on my haunches and just stare. Never have I felt more in awe, and the prophecy has predicted this. Because this, what I have just pulled out of the holy pool of Boone, is not from here. We haven't had any of these for eons. This is, I swallow, I can't even think of the word. A woman... I whisper, not sure if my voice can carry the unusual word. Huh. The implications at the moment are that the entire population of alien cavemen is just men. But I must make sure. Oh, there's only one way to make sure. Does the prophecy not say that we must not be fooled by those who would attempt to be seen like a woman, but are not truly female? Oh, this is kind of a a little political statement. I remember the signs very clearly as every Rex V warrior would. So he, I assume he is a Rex V warrior. We all dream about this when we're younger and during the stripening. Uh, the moistly is pretty good. I bet the word, if the moist, the word moist comes up later, uh, I will try to, I, I don't know, I'll, I'll like put in a sound or like a bell or something when I actually do the edit for this. On the cover of the books, the alien cavemen are all super jacked with massive muscles, and they all have, like, tiger stripes on them. So that's now clearly a ceremony they go through to become a warrior. We all dream... (laughs) Believe me, I'm pretty sure the butt stuff is coming. We all dream of being a warrior who finds the woman in the water and then proceeds to, I gasp as I remember, to mate with her. Oh, he's gonna do it while she's unconscious, maybe. I bet he's nicer than that. I bet, that, I bet this is all consensual. But anyways, I reach my hand out and gingerly touch her skin, wet and smooth and cool, so pale and soft, truly wondrous. I must take her gom- garments off to check if the signs are here in full. The lower part calls to me the most, as, again, instinct is taking over. He knows where to go. I fumble with the alien fabric, loosening, closing... Sorry. I f- I'm getting too excited. I fumble with the alien fabric closing mechanism. It won't come apart. Where's the drawstring? 
I wonder if aliens are as preoccupied by gender identities as humans. She's hinting that some of the alien men dress as women, but that's heresy. So we may have actually gotten a taste of the political leanings of the author just now. It's pretty subtle, but it's there. I try to pull it. I try to pull downwards on it, and then parts of it, uh, and then it parts in some very complicated way to reveal more fabric underneath. Huh? How very alien and how very arousing. I keep pulling down everything I can find. How many layers is she wearing? She's wearing jeans, so it'd be jeans and underwear. And then finally, it's revealed to me. I sit backward in awe. I say, oh, geez. He's, I actually wasn't ready for this to get this graphic. Uh, okay. A slit. A soft, gentle little slit right where the manhood would be on any male. My own is throbbing so hard that I have trouble keeping it under control. <laughs> oh, guys, I don't know if I can keep going. I know there's going to be a sex scene, and that actually is the reason I bought the book, but maybe I wasn't ready for this. This is one of the signs. A woman. It's true. Okay, so he's basically seen her, her uh, crotch, and now he knows it's a woman, which is fair. The holy cave spins around me as the implications zoom through my mind. But most of all, that little slit calls to me. Whoo, I'm glad a woman wrote this. Oh, and again, earlier when I started writing, I was suspicious that it wasn't a woman because she kept using... Uh, what was the... I've, now I forget. She kept using a term... Oh, pitch a tent. She said that like once or twice. And I was like, that's not a thing a woman says. So I think... That this is a woman, a man writing under the nom de plume of a woman, so that he can write like stuff like this. But most of all, that little slit calls to me. I must worship the woman, as the prophecy states. She is to be worshipped and honored. I slide her gar- garments further down so I can spread her miraculously soft and hairless thighs apart. This will be the best moment of my life. And then. It's the end of chapter. The one thing I've said consistently about this book, as trash as it might be, is that every chapter has ended on a good cliffhanger. Now, the fact that he's about to have sex with an unconscious woman, now I guarantee in the next chapter she wakes up and stops him and then again, if they're going to do it, it's going to be consensual. Because this is called a faded romance. Uh, But I absolutely guarantee every chapter so far has had an excellent cliffhanger. If I want to give any credit to the author in this case, it is that every chapter, the end of every chapter is maybe we want to continue on to the next chapter. But that is chapter five and six. Uh, about a month from now, we will be doing chapter seven and eight. Uh, if you'd like to go back, you can listen to me read chapters one, two, three, and four. And uh, Then I, I actually, no, I wanted to check. Sorry. I wanted to check how many chapters there were because I forgot. I can get the cover so you can see the cover. There you go. So there's the cover of the book. Caveman, Aliens Ransom. You can see the striping up here. He's got all uh, all his stripes on his chest. That now we know is not natural. That's part of a ceremony that they go through. I just wanted to see a uh, Callista Sky is our author. Who knows if I th- again, I think Callista Sky might be a man. Uh, oh, 17 chapters. So we just got to six. Next week's gonna be our next time's gonna be seven and eight. So Uh, I'm going to shut down there. I am excited to see how brutal these cavemen are. Because he did say, because of the prophecy, he was going to honor her. 
which would actually make it imply that, again, they're not going to do any sort of rape stuff, which actually I would be uncomfortable reading, so I'm actually happy about that. In some of the C. McBee reads, I've gotten some stuff that I wasn't really happy about reading. So far, I've been happy with this book. I want to... The use of the word slit kind of bothered me. I don't know if I could come up with better, but I probably wouldn't write a story with some clumsy sex scene in it, especially where a caveman's about to attempt to rape a woman. Uh, but again, that's just me. <laughs> I can't uh, I can't speak for others' proclivities.